And so immediately after that, what I did was I would do slow lowers every single day. And I, I went through a point of time where I did rebound rep, like heavy rebound rep bench, heavy re- rebound rep squat every day for... It started as twice a day. And then at, at the end, it got more like once a day, but it's still every day. And I did that for about six weeks. And over that course of time, like the rebound rep bench went from, I think it started at 195 to like two, it's gone up to 290. I wow. think it got up to 275 in like six weeks from 195. Jeez. That was Brady Volmering. And you're listening to the Just Fly Performance Podcast. <laughs> Today's episode is sponsored by Lost Empire Herbs, and I want to tell you how you can get one of their flagship products, Pine Pollen, here for free with only the normal cost of shipping. So long story short, quick background, Lost Empire Herbs has been a sponsor of this show for some time. I absolutely love their product line. I love getting supplements that are based out of nature with absolute minimal processing. And Lost Empire Herbs uh, CEO, Logan Christopher, has been a guest on the show multiple times, originally talking about his mental training concepts, uh, his background as a strong man, and then and finding that he also ran an herbalism company. I ordered the Phoenix formula, which is one of their main products. I noticed a reduced dependence on caffeine, increase in my energy, and eventually, and I hadn't actually expected this, but an increase in my strength. And one of the key ingredients in Phoenix formula is pine pollen. Pine pollen is awesome in terms of hormonal support, energy, endurance levels, and athletes I've talked to who have used it have loved it. Uh, you can get your free sample of pine pollen by heading to justflypinepollen.com. That is justflypinepollen.com. If you want 15% off anything else in the store, you can use the code justfly at checkout at lostempireherbs.com for things like the Phoenix Formula, Shilly Jet Resin, and so much more. I highly recommend the company, so be sure to check out Lost Empire Herbs. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. Thanks for being here. Today for the show, we welcome back Brady Volmering. Brady is the owner of DAC Performance and Health. He originally was a guest on two, uh, episode 291 of the podcast. And Brady's focus is on increasing the capacity of the human being. If you are familiar with Brady's work or his output on social media, you'll see that Brady, who has been training for a very long time himself, has made a substantial physical transformation in the past year. And he'll be talking about some of those methods and concepts on the podcast today, uh, not only as it pertains to his own training, but also how he has taken that and applied it to the athletes that he works with. So within that training, and a lot of it being more non-traditional in nature as per what we would would typically consider standard lifting tempos and frequencies, he'll be talking about uh, some of the things that he learned from uh, Coach Jay Schrader that he integrated into his own training. He'll be talking about his extremely high single leg depth drop and stick. So that element of his practice, uh, we'll be talking about oscillatory reps, uh, high frequency training, mind body awareness, wins and losses in training, and a whole lot more. Brady is a curious, bright, and then really deep diving young coach into those mechanisms that really drive forward performance, especially on that human being level. So it was great to have him on the show, and I'm excited to get this one going for you. Let's get on to episode 369 with coach Brady Volmering. Brady, it's great to have you back on the show, man. I saw you post a video of doing a single leg drop landing and stick off of, I don't know, it was like a six foot box or something like that. Um, What got you into thinking, like what puts you on the path to that specific physical challenge? I'm curious. Yeah. So first of all, thanks for having me. It's it's good to be back on. 
for that specific one, it was like the single leg drop has become, I mean, really a bunch of different types of depth drops have become a, simply like a part of my training. And at some point you get like, you just get bored with not pushing it. Right. Cause I think last time I was on, we talked about, um, there was one day where I did like 660 depth drops from like a yeah. three foot box on, on two feet. Right. So like, I kind of did that built up volume. And then at some point it's like, every time that I do them, I'm just trying to, I'm trying to push that farther and farther because the way that I'll set up the programming that I do is like, especially with a lot of ballistic type output or really with anything that we're doing is like, I want to set up almost in like a game format mm. where there's something where the athlete can, the athlete has a chance to succeed. Athlete has a chance to fail because that's going to obviously bring that engagement up. So literally that was just a day that I had single like death drops planned and it was like go as high as you possibly can and still land and stick it <laughs> and so that's really what what brought that in for that day but it's man when you get up six feet and you're trying to land on one leg like it's pretty sketchy or it feels pretty sketchy up there yeah yeah i the mental process of it would be interesting yeah like i know even when you're gonna, when you're d- doing like a cliff jumping or something or going off the diving board and you're going to do a new trick there is kind of that little bit of an uneasy feeling in your chest or what yeah so i'd be curious i've never i've never jumped off the six foot box and stuck it on one leg i'm sure there's something interesting going on in your body that is saying something a little different than a typical depth drop or something like that when you're going to land it on one leg yeah i mean it's uh it's funny because like if we look specifically at the single leg depth drop it's almost like you have to take because for me landing a six foot depth drop on two feet is still pretty tough like it's yeah, still yeah. there's still some a feeling of being a little bit sketchy like you have to prepare yourself to actually like land that otherwise you're just gonna fall to the floor right so it's almost like when i'm doing that off one leg it's like i have to take and think i'm gonna do what i normally do with two legs but just like compress it all into one leg so it's almost like i have to like <laughs> direct like tension down into that right leg more than I normally would or yeah. into that one leg. It's like the tension that I normally take from, you know, the left leg, I almost have to like take it and put it into that right leg where it's like, I'm, you're literally thinking, or I'm literally thinking when I drop, like I need to be able to, I don't know, prepare myself to like land off a cliff and stick that. It's, it's pretty cool. Cause it like last time, again, we talked about learning to direct intent, right? I think we talked about that in terms of a deep push-up. Well, in terms of a depth drop, if you don't learn how to direct that intent, you're just gonna, I mean, you're gonna fail. Yeah. And the funny thing is, like when I was doing that, I mean, I was probably at that for 40, 45 minutes on that day, where it was like, okay, first of all, working up to six feet. And then from there, I probably failed the first, I don't know, 25 to 30 drops, where it's like I drop, I try to stick on right, but my left leg comes down because my body just doesn't trust it, right? And, there, and there's like a whole process of getting to the point that you can actually stick one. And it's like you're learning how to direct your intent into that, um, which is cool because then you can take and apply that in other places as well. Yeah. So that was just kind of like a one day thing that you weren't like training for. I mean, obviously, you've been training before with jumping and dropping well, and all that type of thing. But yeah. So things like, things like death drops, I would work into a program. Like the way that I do my programming is, is I'm going to do it for a week and then athletes that I program for, that's going to be their base template the next week. And obviously I'll put in ways to progress and regress every exercise. But like a, if we take the exercise of this thing like death drop, it's probably going to be in there once or twice a month, pretty much year round, right? So that was just a day that I was bringing that back in for that one or two times a month. It was within my training schedule, like it was within my plan. And it's just, I happened to really get into it that day. Mm-hmm. 
And that's what I looked up to. But like still after that, it wasn't the whole training day. Like after that, I went and did the rest of the session. So it was kind of like a, is a quote unquote normal training day, but it, it got pushed pretty good. Yeah. Did you feel like there was any sort of like potentiation or overload? I, I'm just curious, like the unique, I mean, even just watching you do it, like, it's not like, I mean, not that I'm one, I'm sure that you're one at all for like a snap down or a landing position, right? Like a predisposed yeah, no, no, no. landing position, but you to land that you had to have a lot of uh, give of the upper body and arms and everything to kind of like ease everything else of dropping from six feet and who knows how many well kilos, i actually in the video in the video that's on the instagram i didn't land it i mean i never ended up landing it the way that i'd like to land them mm. like i'd like to land them where torso is more straight up and it's more like shin is generally in line with the torso i mean i'm not super like anal about that mm -hmm. but that's the way that that's the way my, that my body feels best about landing because i want to be able to I don't want to just be able to take the force of like forces coming in your foot, coming in your foot and then it's going up through the ankle, knee, hip, right up to the spine, all the way up through your, your cervical. So like, I want to be able to, I want that whole line to be able to take and absorb that force very rapidly. Cause I want my whole system to be able to do that. So like, if you look at that one, basically what happened is there's kind of a, a little bit of a break. Cause I had a hinge forward. I was just happy because I landed yeah. the six foot drop. Right. But ideally I would want to land that with that whole line going up is able to withstand that force. And I mean, in terms of like the potentiation, I mean, it's tough to not feel like pretty dang good about yourself after you land a six foot one-legged drop, you know? So it's, I don't know. It's like it, it just helps you to, everything after that seems, seems much easier or, or much less. Yeah. Compared to that, like everything. That. Yeah. Compared like to like just going in, going and playing tennis for two hours now like it's i have like to stop on a diamond whatever it mm -hmm. doesn't really i don't get sore from that for the most part unless unless there's other unless there's other things coming in like unless the opponent that i'm playing is much better than me right then there's a much higher like emotional level of just or just a different mm -hmm. type of stimulus or stress right but if i just go play against a similar level like it's going to feel pretty pretty breezy yeah yeah yeah, I know uh, you had, had posted some tennis videos, so there's some questions I had for that towards the back, yeah, yeah. which is awesome. I just think it's so cool. It's like, if you think of the the polarity of things, the pure, just raw muscular recruitment and tension, a huge drop, and then on the other side, that's on the one polarity, and then on the all the way on the other side, not all the way, but like in so many ways, the other way is tennis because you can't, yeah. you have to have the fluidity and the intention of what is maximal, like you said, is different. and. So I'm excited to get um, into that topic more with you, but I do in terms of the single leg drops. I am curious um, how uh, scaling that. So for for the rest of us, or for those of us who uh, just into a typical training session, we want to build yeah. robust athletes. But there is obviously the line and the caution that we do toe. And even I'd be curious of your perspective on that with those people who have the mindset to train with you. I'd imagine people who are training with you are of the type of yes, I'm willing to take a little bit more risks than the average training type uh, you know or whatever risk is right the average type yeah. of training that's very canned and land like this and uh so just with that in mind just curious how you go about scaling that for the individuals that you work with for sure yeah so the way that i do that is so when i'm when i'm writing out like let's say we have the single leg death drop and i'm writing out the description of that for the athletes that are going to see it from me the way that i'm writing that out is it's it should it's going to be directed the same way at everyone in the sense that it's going to be worded where the goal is to work up to one to two sets of, let's say, 
And on that specific day, it would be to work up to one to two sets of three to five reps from as high of a box as you feel good with, feel comfortable with, or like want to go to that day. So for someone where it's the first day of single leg death drops, that could be a 18 inch box. And they're like, man, that felt extremely hard, extremely difficult. Like they're going to get the same level of that almost feels as hard to them as like the six foot would to me. I mean, not, it's not, it's obviously not the same level of actual like muscular engagement and all that. Right. But it's still, it's like that game piece that I talked about. Like I want, even if it's their first time doing it, I want them to, to like push that a little bit, unless they're, unless they're coming back from an injury. Like if they're coming back from an injury, I'm going to wear it differently where it's going to be, if it's the first time doing it, it's going to be like, we want absolutely no shot of you feeling like this is going to be done to a level where it would impact you negatively. Like all we're trying to do here is build straight up confidence for you. So like, keep it more conservative than, than you think you need to. Right. That would be like the first thing, the way that I word it for the first time, someone's doing it after an injury, we're going to be extremely conservative just to build confidence. The next time we can kind of build into it. But if it's someone that's healthy, like we want to, whatever level you're at, we want, we progress and regress it based on what your body is ready for. And that's, like before, before they work or when we first start, I'm, I have a conversation with them about what your what it means when your body speaks to you. Like when you have pain, what does that mean? When you have tightness or restriction, what does that mean? When your body gets tighter because you have something that's coming to your environment, like what does that mean? So the goal through the training is for them to understand why the body is presenting. Mm-hmm. So like this thing like death drop is basically a way for them. And again, that's just one example, right? That's a way for them to have that communication with the body, have that communication with their system. And by wording it like that, where it's, it's up to them how high they go, they're learning that better. And even if like when I, when I did, when I was first doing these, not first doing these, but let's say like probably six to 12 months ago, maybe longer than that, like 12 to 18 months ago, now I would do these. Sometimes I would, because I didn't really land that smooth, I'd like slam my heel into the ground mm-hmm. and I, my heel would hurt for like a week or two. Right. Mm-hmm. But that's short term. That's not necessarily ideal. Right. But long term, I don't know if I get to where it's at now without going through that because I had to learn that about my system. I had to learn how to communicate that with my system in that way. Right. So there's different ways that we can go about. Like if someone's in season, I'm, I'm, we're not going to do that. We don't want them to be out for one or two weeks with a heel that they can't that they have to limp around on, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm going to make sure that I include that in the, in the description. Like, hey, if you have any chance of playing next week, go 5% less than you would if you, were, if you weren't playing or, or if you were in the off-season. If they're in the off-season and they don't have other like skill-specific stuff going on, then maybe we can push a little bit more. It just, it all depends on, you know, I, I try to set it up in terms of the wording, in terms of the description so that they can interpret it as, like, okay, I know how I'm going to attack this based on the situation that I'm in, and it's still going to be stimulating for them. Yeah. You, uh, you talked about, Brady, the idea of training harder than the demands of the game. Um, I've yeah. heard that a lot in the Jay Schrader world, too, that once you get to the game, at least physically, and I'm sure there's mental inferences, too, and we can chat about that, but like at least where your body is prepared for that you've prepared to a higher level. And I think about, yeah, like with the, like, how do you do that in the sense that, when you watch the game and you really watch it, you see a lot of cu- explosive cuts and movements and jabs that are not only of a high intensity, but there's also the emotional link to the game. You have a boost um, that actually can supersede. 
a lot of like you you see typical plyos in training like these low bilateral hurdle hops or these perfect positions you're like man these are nowhere close to these demands this person is in the game i mean maybe for a low low level athlete it could be close you know and just maybe there's quality in that landing but i think about well a drop you're being taken by gravity there's something that's beyond you that's pulling you down um yeah and I know drops were, or at least from what I've heard, drops were pretty popular popular in like Jay's Jay Schrader's system. Uh, I'm curious what your thoughts on are with drops relative to other more, let's just say, land based plyos, um, things that are more serial in nature. How often are those in your program, and yeah. how do you consider that role of gravity in terms of a preparation that could supersede forces of the game? Yeah. So. The way that I think about it is, like you said, in a game, it's a game. So there's a chance of winning, there's a chance of losing. And that's essentially what brings about that level of emotional engagement, right? So if we can, if we can bring that into the training, I think that can, it might not, it might not bring it up to the actual level of the game, or it might, it just, it depends on the athlete and kind of like how much they know how to pull out of the, out of themselves. But a lot of times the way that I'll set it up, like even if we're doing jumps, um, like let's say that we're doing a a running jump where they have 15 yards to approach, they have a line and they jump from that line and they're trying to get as far as they can and they mark how far they go, right? Basically what it's going to be is this is what we're doing. You keep going till you can't beat it for two or three jumps in a row. And so that's that same level of like, okay, I can win, I can lose. And so it's going to bring that level of Mm. engagement into it, right? So I think that makes, and we can even do that with, like we can do that with drops or if we want to talk about like upper body drops or upper body impulses, plyos, like that's with a lot of the hyper type of work that I'll do. It'll be set up in a similar way, even though they don't have like an external thing that they can. It's not like a jump where you're trying to get a certain distance. We could set it up where you have a running clock of three minutes and you're trying to impulse as hard as you can for three minutes straight. Right. And so it's like, a, it's like the only thing that's, stopping them from doing that because you can't really fail in that unless you just stop so it's like it's their level of engagement that gets them to how much they can get out of that and i think that actually helps to translate really well into the game like this is from for myself personally and then also feedback that i've gotten from athletes that i mean every athlete is able to engage only at the level that they're at so like athletes that have been doing it for a little bit longer probably understand a little bit better right and that's just a side effect of training. Like that should be a side effect of training. But the, the feedback has been that the game literally, the game literally feels easier than the training. And, and there's a there's a time where I didn't necessarily think that was possible. Where like, if you think about, let, let's say you're a college professional baseball player and you have, you know, five thousand, forty thousand people in the stands, like, can you actually make training that engaging? Right. Mm-hmm. And I, I, at that point, I don't think it's the, I don't know if it's, it's not the actual training program designer setup that is going to make it as engaging as that, because I don't think you can really mimic that unless you have the actual stadium with people. Right. But I think it, it's, it's more of if the person understands almost like how to engage themselves, I think that's where you can get greater than or close to that level of engagement. And what I mean by like engaging themselves is they're, they can tell when they're not like they can tell subtle changes in what they're doing. Like they can tell subtly when they're not, when they back off a little bit, they can tell subtly when they need to go into it a little bit more. They can tell subtly when they're not doing it exactly the way that they want to, like when there's more tension than that they want, or when there's tension in a different area that they want, like there's all these different subtleties of it. And if you're, if you're maximally engaged into that, 
to me, that's no different than being maximally engaged into playing baseball in front of 40,000 people. Like you, you, you take and you engage yourself in the environment, regardless of what the environment is kind of thing. I don't know if that made any sense yeah. or answered your question. Yeah, no, I, I, I definitely got my wheels turning. And something I've been thinking about a lot is I, I think about this a lot with the way that people get information. Now, it's so much just based off mm-hmm. a lot of exercises, like neat little skipping drills for sprinting or very neat little plyo drills. And not that those things don't have value. I think they can have value. But I think what we miss is if you get carried away with that stuff and that was your workout, and you never pegged it to an intention, you never linked it to something that's like, all right, this is on the clock. This is like you're mentioning all these ways you can gamify or put something where you have a chance of failing. I just think it loses a lot of its power. And I've I've been to places where in my past history where I, I get on a, a training uh, kick of some sort or another, and then I yeah. go and uh, maybe I'm doing that for a while. And then I go to the track one day and I run like something that's like a staple, like let's just say it's five or six 200s or something. And it's like, man, this feels slow. Like, it, And then all of a sudden, it's like, well, what did, if I can't do this, because when I high jump my best, I mean, not that, I I mean, 200s, and, and it can be either way. I've, I've had conversations like this for like tempo training. Like if you go run seven or eight 200s, for one athlete that's it's just busy work, it could be not very great. For another athlete that's feeling it and experiencing it in a different way, it could be, it could be a really good experience. I know that uh, where I was in graduate school, Wisconsin lacrosse, that was like they're just meat and potatoes track sprinting workouts. They had won 25 national championships. They just they got in their line, they ran their tempo, and that was a big part of what they did. And the way, if you watch them do it, the way they experienced, I think, was really um, very present moment and, and high belief system and that type of thing. And I guess just what I'm trying to say is, I think that the bigger divide there is between like even in in the, in the training session itself between getting carried away you can get carried away with things that don't link to a pass fail like you said where you can just be like all right i'm doing this well this will get me results and i don't know, like i did like air alert like if everyone knows the air alert program like it's so long ago i mean shoot it's 25 years ago it's like you know the first couple of weeks that you do like two sets of 20 pogos two sets of 20 squat jumps calf raises bench alternating jumps and like 100 burnouts or whatever it was like a little high up on your toes jumps and you know they weren't linked to anything but you also did it every day which i found funny I, honestly i think early on that's part of the stick of it actually is that it is every day because you're not the guy in the book they don't tell you yeah you have to recover this much and i did that <laughs> and i i you know for two three maybe four weeks i actually was gaining like my jump was getting better i was dunking way better than i did before and then it just got, it became busy work. The only way up now is volume. It just became repetitive, too repetitive of itself. And it no longer was giving me um, what the impetus I needed to keep moving forward. But yeah, you know, all, just all that to say is I just think that, yeah, like you said, having some sort of pass fail, some sort of how did this link into the main thing, even doing stuff like, um, like supersets where you're like sprinting a 10 meter fly. Maybe you're doing like flex leg bounds and they do like a 30 second line hop as fast as you can. And then you go back and you peg it to that outcome, that ultimate, you know, that ultimate thing. I just think anyways, that what registers in my mind is just always finding something that relates, that puts more intention, that puts something on the line of some sort that is greater than that doesn't allow you to check out. And because I think it, you could ask yourself, is it entirely possible to go through this workout and not have to dig deeper with any pass fail. Yeah, like you said, the pass fail point I think is is really key there. Yeah, and I will say too, there's there may also be some benefit to sometimes not having that 
because I've 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 found benefit in that in, in, in the sense that like when I was early in college, it was almost like where it got to the point where there was so much not early in college, like after I got out of college, right? When I was like getting into training after college. It's like I was just I was tired of or I didn't understand when when it would be pass fail, it'd almost be like I feel so much pressure about yeah, that pass yeah. fail that I just didn't want to do it. And I'll just be like, like I didn't want I wasn't ready for that. Just because I mean there's a lot of things that went on where college didn't go the way that I wanted to go. So I built up basically like this resistance to almost like the 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 resistance to the the fact that you can either win or you can lose. Cause it's like I from my perspective, I lost so many times that I was just like, I didn't want to have that like win lose again. I just wanted to back off and kind of like be easy for a little bit. Right. And if I tried to force myself to stay in that, it just didn't quit for me. Yeah. So like at that point I had to back off and be like, okay, what, like, what am I actually doing here? Why is this, why is this popping up? Cause this isn't usually the way I am. Like what, what is actually happening here back out of that and then be able to like now, I mean, I, I crave that stuff. Right. But that wasn't always the case. So yeah. I think all these things are like the, the past failed, the, or the not having that, like all these are tools that we can use. And it's just, there's, it's just dependent upon the, the context of the situation, I think. Yeah. And, and I, I mean, I think that's what coaching, like that's what coaching comes down to or, or, whatever you want to call it, like helping other people comes down to being able to see. Uh, like, I think it's very valuable to go through so many perspectives yourself that you can understand where other people, you can always put yourself looking through their eyes and be like, okay, I know what that's like. I know, I know what they're feeling right now. What would I do? Cause when I'm programming, that's basically what I want to do is like, I want to get enough information from them to where I understand what they're feeling, what they're experiencing. So that I can be like, okay, if that was me, what would I do? Otherwise, for me, trying to help other people is just like throwing random things out almost. Like I, I need to be able to feel yeah. what they're, you know, what they're feeling so that I can then, okay, this is what we're going to do. And that, I mean, that's, I, I've been very successful with that. Um, but yeah. I, I agree. I think that's something I heard Jay say in a conversation, the idea of like that empathetic, like if I was in your shoes type, type coaching yeah. um, frame of mind. I, I, I do. Um, I definitely get it with like that constant pressure. It makes me think too. I was even just thinking about like that two or three or four weeks where air alert worked, which is just pure GPP. It's just pure general. There's yeah. no pressure really. It's just go do yeah. it, you know, clock in, clock out, go do it. There's no pressure. And I think that, yeah, for GPP periods or, or periods where you just, yeah, you're generally preparing. Maybe you haven't really engaged the stress of win, lose, win, lose, win, lose. And you're going to take that to its fullest. I, I even think too of successful, like really successful track seasons. In fact, the most successful one I had where I just smashed my high jump and triple jump PRs, the whole fall was just win. The whole fall was wins. And it's all like, I mean, I would go high jump, and which is a pass fail inherently. And the high jump can be real mental too, because once you reach your limit, it does bring all your psychological anxieties yeah. out because you failed. What does that mean that you failed? You know, like all those things. Triple jump does, but you could have a bad day. It's not like you knocked a bar off and failed. You just didn't jump, jump very far. Um, but that really, that season that I had that was so good, the whole fall, I've mentioned this on the podcast before, but the high jump bar was like an inch or two lower than I thought it was. So I think I'm like jumping six feet, four inches off four or five steps. And really I'm jumping six feet two. But in my mind, 
I, you know, oh yeah, I'm in such a good place. I just, I'm like, all right, I'm good. I'll, I'll go to dinner. You know, we're, we're good. I can be happy. I'm, I'm happy with what I did. I feel confident that I won and now I'm out of here. But then it's funny because the next year and the whole year, the whole fall was like that, even like running the intervals, like the, we run like eight by 200 or five by 300, which some people would hear that and be like, oh, that's way too much running. But for, for me and the jumps and elasticity was actually a great thing. And it was that year I decided that I wasn't going to try to win those, um, those, like a lot of people would treat those tempo. Those are extensive tempo days. They are not racing. They're not meant to be fast. They're meant to be recovery days. And that was the first year I, in my mind, was totally comfortable with just relaxing. I, I, instead of me judging a win by being in the top three of whoever ran the 200, my win was how easy can I run a 32 second or something like that? Do it seven or eight times, feel good, feel better the next day. And I did that for uh, a few months. And I remember that actually, just that, that framework, the volume combined with that mentality combined with the ease. I was running times in the 300 at the end when I did decide to put it down a few workouts, like absolutely blew away any old times that I would have ran by probably in the 300, probably like three or four seconds at least. I mean, it was very substantial. And so, the whole fall was like so many of these kind of wins. I, I do I do remember it was funny though. I remember <laughs> trying to squat a certain weight and, and getting stapled by it once. And then the next week I went to on a trip to Spain and actually got a thing where I was training in their Olympic training center for a few a week. It was kind of mentally just like a reset. But I mean that was the only time I think that really had happened on that year. And and then the next year I had the year before me where I was like, okay, I was jumping this last year. I got to be this far ahead. And I wouldn't leave practice till I, I did it. You know, that win, that win loss, measuring yourself. And I got, and I actually wasn't doing the 200s and 300s as much because my coach said I didn't need to. And I burnt out fast, no recovery, overtraining, constantly judging myself. So it is there. You know, I guess you could say, yeah, maybe with the general and the general like plyos or running, there is that nice time to just be at ease. And then there's the time to win, to find something to win at. But that's the art of coaching is how can you help people to win the majority of the time in a way that they're going to recover from, I think. That's what I've kind of, if I've learned anything in my coaching, especially the one-on-ones, I do that more now that I'm in in the private sector. Um, I mean, you could still do it in the university, but it was a lot yeah. more difficult. But it's like, it's always like, all right, we're going to warm up and I'm constantly thinking, here's our main effort thing for the day. How can I help this athlete to have a challenge that I know they can win and feel good the same way I felt good about? Um, and I think... I think too, going into like when you have a loss, how do you process that loss? Yeah. Because I like the, if you don't know how to process the loss, I think that's when they stack up. If you yeah. understand, if you understand how to process that, then they don't necessarily stack up as much. Like, I think that's what I'm doing a, a better job of now is, is I understand better um, how to process those losses. Yeah. And, and I think that's a huge piece in terms of working with athletes is, I mean, I do a lot of work in, in injury and rehab, right? And I'll get a lot of athletes that have had one surgery, two surgeries, three surgeries, and they've had three or four years since they last been able to play their sport, and they're still like college age, right? So it's like they, ju- they just had so many years where it's like they're on their last draw. It's like, hey, this is my last stitch thing. If, th- if this doesn't work, I'm done, right? But they don't understand how antagonistic that has made them towards the thing that they say that they want to do, right? Like mm-hmm. they they say that they want to play whatever the sport is, but when you talk about their sport and you like, you just know how their attitude is, how like their, what their face looks like, what their tone of voice is. They don't actually, their body is saying that they don't like that. Right. Because it's worse than if you're talking about something else that they actually really like. 
but they don't, they're not even aware of that, right? Because it's, it's happening to them and they're so deep in it that they don't realize that. So I, I think that's a huge part of it is like looking at like, hey, the last three or four years, you've literally tried five or six times, like where you had hope that you're going to get back in your sport, you're going to have a good season, you're going to do what you want to do. And then it got crushed. And that's happened for four years in a row. So like you have to understand the impact that that's had on you. And I think once once they start to understand that, now as we go into the rehab, like we can use or, or the training, right? Whether because this could be training for like if you're not injured and you're training for a certain output, like let's say you're a sprinter, you're a jumper, and you you want to hit a certain number, and it's been you've been stuck for a while. It's the same thing. A loss is a loss, right? Whether it's injury or whether it's you're not hitting the performance outcome that you want, it's getting them to to understand what's happening to them as they do that so that they can understand and actually like through the training, we can process that. That's why I like a lot of the, like a lot of the high rep high volume stuff that we do where um, really the only way that you fail or stop is if you decide to stop. Mm-hmm. It's not like a, I mean, we do heavy work or I do heavy work all the time, like heavy rebound rep squats and stuff where the weight is going to be what you fail at, right? That, that is going to cause you to fail. But if it's something where there's not really that external load and it's you that's driving the movement, like through that, you learn, you, you start to understand how your system is processing like that stimulus. Yeah. Like you, you start to understand what, what thoughts are coming in. How is your body responding to those thoughts? Like how's your body presenting? Do you get pissed? Do you get sad? Do you get like, do you, do you like go into rage? Mm-hmm. Like what is it that pops up? And through that, we can start to process that so that they literally start to understand when I have lost. Cause basically like when you're in training and you want to stop and the only thing that's stopping you is yourself, right? The exercise isn't going to stop you. That's like a, like failing there is basically another loss. So it's like a mini loss. So it's, so it's like when you get presented with that mini loss of in a training session, where does your mind go? And then when they are looking at the bigger losses that they've had, where it's like I had an injury and I tried to come back and it didn't work the same you're going to look at that the same way. So if in the train session in that mini loss where it's like you have that threat of stopping, your body is going to go to the same place that it's gone to when you've had those bigger losses. So they literally start to understand themselves and, and how they respond to that. Um, because like the goal for me is, is basically for them to, for an athlete, for myself, like it starts with myself. This is why I do train and, and, Starts with myself, why I do training, and then also what I want to help others be able to do. It's essentially for them to be able to understand their own bodies, understand their own systems, so that they can take and apply that in whatever it is that they're doing. And, and like that's how we do that is you you're understanding what what you go to when a stimulus hits, and, and why does that happen, and what like what how do you actually want to respond in that situation? Like if you if you, if you forget about the drama that is the fact that you're in the training session, you're fatigued and you're tired and you don't want to do it. If all of that is gone, what do you actually want to do? And, and a lot of people just like myself included, you get so caught up in all the drama and all the garbage that is the buildup of the losses. You forget what you actually want to do. And so the goal is to be able to process that real time where you're always remembering what you want to do and the losses don't build up to where like they affect you in that way. Yeah. In the world that we live in with a lot of like early sports specialization, especially or people played the one sport, it's like kind of always being able to return to that spirit of why you, 
even move. He, he could say even let alone play, but why do we move in the first place? Why do we do these things that we yeah. want to do? And I, yeah, you do see it a lot. I've had athletes where I ask them about their, their sport or their playing and you, they're telling you one thing, but their body is telling you something that is completely different. And a lot of times for those people too, the, the, dis- the uncomfortable physical pieces oftentimes, at least in my experience, are, are also met with difficulty a lot of times for those individuals. And, and even helping them to like, even helping them to understand how to connect deeper than they thought to connect. Because this was a big, this has been a big piece for me too over the last, I don't know, six months, eight months has been like, because, because at one point it was like, okay, the training that I'm doing, the preparation I'm doing is for a sport, right? So that's like one level of kind of depth. That's like, okay, what is the reason that you want to play the sport? Or, or for me, like, what is the... The train isn't just for the sport. The train is also for my business. I know that the better that I'm doing in my training, the better that the business is generally going to do because I'm going to be able to communicate better. And okay, so like, what does the business do? The business is going to allow me to support relationships, to support like family at some point, right? To, to support all that. And like basically lining up what, what is everything that I want to have in my life and how does this relate to that? So for me, it's not just about the train. It's not just about the sport because... Like if those are, for me, if those were the only two verticals that were that were in my life, I knew that that's not that's not everything that I wanted to have. Like kind of that's to some degree like what for for a period of time almost like what I was told is all you can have is like you have to be extremely I don't know like compressed into just training and just your sport. But looking back now, that actually made me worse than if I'm if I'm still going hard as hell on the training, on the sport, but I have all these other verticals that are also in my life that actually helps the training, the sport, because now it's not like I'm going to do another session that like the session is the only thing that I have. The session is supporting the sport. The session is supporting the business. The the session is supporting the family that I want to have. The session is supporting like the quality of me when I want to build these other relationships. And so if we can help other athletes start to connect that for themselves, like, okay, you're in college right now. You're training because you want to get drafted. Getting drafted is going to do what? Like it's going to allow you to, let's say you want to buy your parents a house or you want to invest that money for your parents so that they can retire. Or you want to, like you want that. And then you also want to be able to have a family that you can support. You want to be able to take them certain places, give them whatever it is that you want to be able to do. It starts to become more than, it's harder to get stuck in your own little bubble when you have all these things that are like you're aware of these are the different levels that I want to get to. And this is training role in it. So it's like, it's, it's much easier to not get stuck in. I don't want to train today or like this hurts a little bit today, whatever it is, like those little day-to-day things, it's, it's easier to pull yourself out of that. Um, and, and it, like it directs, it, it will directly help the athlete get better at their sport because they're actually able to invest more in their training. Like it's not just to, I don't know. It's not just because it sounds good. It's like, no, this is actually going to help you better at your sport because like you're going to be able to invest more into it because you understand what you're doing. Quickly. And before you press the fast forward button and I totally get it. I do that all the time. So is it the hypocritical that I'm telling you not to Um, regardless, if you're still listening, I wanted to let you know about the sprint acceleration essentials online course. It's my latest course. I'm really proud of it. And it covers aspects of movement and training that help athletes to not only be fast off of the line of play in sport or within the acceleration burst of a timed or a longer sprint, but the course also helps you to understand the rotational nucleus that drives and powers athletic movement. So within each sprint, 
There also within the athletic body is a rotating and spiraling component. That's really important to understand because we see these things show up all the time in especially uh, front view or rear view athletic frames of athletes sprinting, but there's very little that's done to really dig into that and to help us understand how to harness it within our training programs. So there's a 3D module that's key within the sprint acceleration course. There's also a 2D module addressing sprinting from more of the traditional perspective, movement principles, as well as a plyometric and strength module. I've gotten awesome feedback from coaches on this course, and I'm confident in saying that you're not going to find an acceleration course out there that will leave you with as thorough of an understanding of this athletic skill as sprint acceleration essentials will. So to check out the course, you can head to the Just Fly Sports main page and click on the banner for Sprint Acceleration Essentials. I'll see you in the course. I hope you have a chance to check it out. All right, let's get back to the show. Yeah, it's interesting. If you would have asked me maybe two years ago, even a year ago, um, about the the links between just, you could call it general physical preparation, you know, human yeah. level training and sport, I would have said, all right, well, there is a base level of physical abilities you need. And then once those are checked, you you... It's the transfer between that and sport is not very high. And I think in some cases that's, that can be true, but I've had experiences and I've had, I had a client tell me this and I wasn't, I wasn't like leading him with this question or anything. It was kind of out of the blue. He told me, he's like, I'm playing volleyball way better now than I was before we started training. And originally we started this client, we started training because he was um, trying to get his knee a little bit healthier, just get a little bit stronger. And we just started from that perspective and but we do a ton of just like dynamic warm-up with a lot of reactivity like tons of reactivity work where he's like dodging or chasing or catching things chasing things down or just everything is um in the warm-up process is something that's very athletic and reactive and i think i don't know if it's me even just subconsciously like if i'm having you know dodge a doll rod or something makes you think like dodgeball like the movie dodging a wrench or something yeah yeah. dodge the wrench but I don't, I don't know what it exactly was, but he just said something about the athleticism that we always do every day, every time we train. It helped him in his sport. And I and I had always thought that it needed, you know, you could talk about task representation. You'd certainly need that at some point. The same way we talked about at some point, it, you know, it needs to be linked to something. Like you have to have something you, you measure. But it, I think it's always, it's encouraging to know that, um, and I've said this too, I think sometimes... And I guess you could call it strength and conditioning. I think in some cases you aren't doing as much as you thought you were in terms of transfer of the game, but then on the other side, you're doing a lot more than you thought you were. And maybe that depends on the person a little bit too, but yeah, it's interesting to hear those. Well, I, and I think the transfers too are, if we look just, if we just look outside of what you're doing in the, in the, I don't know, in the weight room, like if you, if you look outside what you're physically doing, if the person understands like, I mean, this is going like a little bit deeper down, right? But if the person understands the relationship that they have with, let's say, um, the relationship that they have with a scout that's coming to watch them, if if their initial reaction to hearing that a scout is coming to watch them is pressure in a sense that doesn't necessarily like elevate the game, but it's like it's pressure where it makes them more anxious and actually makes them perform lower. There's a reason that that's there. That's going to affect the transfer that they take into the game. It, not, not in a traditional sense of the way that we think of it, but it's literally going to restrict like their bodily degrees of freedom when they go out there because they're more tense and more anxious. If they don't know how to take that and like use that to where it actually 
elevates their game, right? So the transfer piece can be more than that, more than just like the, yeah, you know, yeah, it's that's included within all of that. And that's why I say like, the more that you can connect, even relationships, like if you look at them, a relationship doesn't just mean with a person. A relationship can mean what's your relationship with your training? What's your relationship to your sport? What's your relationship to the scout? All that. If they understand that, that's as big of a piece at, of transfer as the what you're doing in the training session. And it doesn't make it more important or less important than the training. It's just we need to include all of this. At least I need to include all of this because I know how much of an impact that it has. And I want, obviously, I want people to get as much as they can out of, out of what they're doing. Right. So, yeah, like, it's it's fun to it's fun to uncover everything that goes into like what it is to training and what it mean what that means for the sport what it means for the person in general because to be fair like i if if all i was doing was thinking about training and transfer in terms of like the exercise the sets and reps the all that i, I would get bored mm-hmm. <laughs> you know like I, I want to keep on seeing what like what more is there that we can that, that we can pull out of this in, in terms of all the different ways that we can attack that. And then actually creating, creating solutions for the athlete that they can use and, and use to get better. So, yeah. Yeah. I I'd like to ask you more about like some of the specific nuances of that too, like this specific mm-hmm. protocol and they, Hey, let's check in with this and this from a body awareness perspective uh, before we do, just cause we've um, we've been going for a little bit. I de- I definitely want to like one of my first or second questions I had for you was your physical transformation. Uh, throughout the past year, you had posted uh, just a picture of, I was probably at some point the last time we did this podcast and then now, mm-hmm. and you are look way stronger. And I don't think that from my understanding, I I can't imagine you completely overhauled your extra, you know, the, the actual nuts and bolts, like you said, sets and reps. I believe it's some other things as well. So uh, yeah, anyways, before I just say too much about that, just tell me a little bit, bit about what's changed in your approach to physical training and just what's led to how much stronger um, you've gotten over the last year. Yeah. Um, I'm that's, yeah, that's, that's a, it's a big question. There's, there's multiple different pieces that I've got into it. Um, like you said, the actual structure of what I do has changed a little bit. So the, and we talked about this a little bit before the podcast, right. But so like at that point I was doing, and this is a specific, I don't think this is something that everyone has to do. And obviously to make some type, some type of transformation, it just worked for me where the ISOs turned into the sole lowers that I was doing. And that helped me to understand better how to, how to invest in training. Like, yeah. Can you go to that t- real quick too? The just, ISOs. I, I, I can go specifically into that. Okay. So like, if we think about, if we think about the deep push up, right. The way that I would do a deep push up before is I would get into the bottom of the deep push up. I would call it an ISO, right? And I would try to hold myself in that position as long as possible. So like, if you think about what's actually happening physiologically, when you're holding yourself in a position is if we think about just at the elbow, your tricep is going to be working to resist gravity to try to hold you up in that position. As the tricep fails, you fatigue. So that what's happening at the joint of the elbow is it's going further into flexion while your tricep is trying to shorten because your tricep is trying to hold you up, right? If you think about what the tricep does when it fires, is it's going to extend your elbow. It's not going to flex your elbow. Your bicep is what's used to flex your elbow. So if you're trying to hold yourself up, but you're you're basically losing to gravity, you're 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 creating resistance within the exercise. This is the way that I've that I think about it, right? You're resisting against yourself what you want to do. You want to hold up, but you're going down, right? You, there's resistance there. So the way that I've 
done them now is or do them now is I'll I'll literally try to pull myself into the position. So what that means again, if we go only deep push up and we go just at the elbow joint, I want at the at the very bottom, I want my tricep to not be on. It's not that it's off because if it's off, it you have a like broken connection to your brain and that's no good. <laughs> but it's, it's that it's maximally lengthened, right? So your tricep is lengthened and your and my bicep is actually pulling further and further into. Because as I lower in the deep push up, my elbow joint is flexing. And what flexes the elbow joint is the bicep. So I want to be able to shorten that more and more as I go into that and for the tricep to lengthen more and more. So that there's not resistance there. It's that I'm doing what I want to do. I'm pulling myself further into position. I'm not trying to resist. And that just that that little piece right there, it, it made a huge difference for me because then I can then take and apply that in other areas. Like because a big part of the the transformation was, um, I mean, for the longest time, I've had like one one cheat meal a week, and it so it'd be like a or not cheat meal, but like a cheat day each week, right? Where I would there'd be like pizza and ice cream, I'd enjoy it, right? It, that would be once a week. But there's some small part of me that was like, I don't, I mean, I wouldn't feel great when I had all the food just because of the quality of the food, right? And I also didn't really know if I wanted to do that. Or if it was something that I was just used to, because growing up, my family would get pizza every Sunday for as long as I can remember, right? So it's just it's just something that was habitual for me. And so, what I started to look at is like, okay, do I actually want to do this? Like, what do I actually want to do? I want to feel good. I want to, like, I want everything to be moving in the direction that I want all the time. So why would I want to have this? What I call this cheat like this cheat day basically. And that, because the way that I saw it was like, that's resisting against myself mm-hmm. and is creating like this friction in the same way that in a, in a deep push up ISO, I was like resisting against myself and, and, it, and it almost would take more mm-hmm. energy. Like it takes more energy to resist against yourself. If you're doing what you want to do, you're actually like, you're not fatiguing necessarily. So in terms of the way that the, the body transformed, like the diet obviously got better. Which the biggest thing was literally just taking out that one cheat meal per week. Um, Like diet wise, that's what changed, but it was driven by me understanding I don't want to resist against myself. I don't want to waste energy with that. I want to, like, what what do I actually want to do? And I want to do that. Right. So that was a big part of it and all of it. Um, And then also looking at, like, if I connect that to, again, this is how I connect everything. Right. But if I connect that to, to the training and then also the business that I have. What would happen in the business would I would get to a certain level of business and that would be like it would be like there would be so much to the point where I felt like I couldn't handle anymore. So now I would back off. And it would be like this up and down roller coaster mm-hmm. where when I would back like I would get antagonistic when the when the business would get to a certain level because there's it felt like more work that I could handle that I could process, right? And, and I was creating like that antagonism, like we talked about earlier with the athlete that has the injury, like any loss, there's going to be that antagonism. So I then had to look at like, okay, what, like, what do I actually want the business to look like? I, I don't want to just keep going up and down with this, right? I don't want to have resistance with that. So how can I actually take and, and, and get that moving in the direction that I want as well? Because then what happens there is if that's going in the direction that I want, that makes training easier because I'm not making myself tired with the business stuff to where I don't want to train. So now my training becomes more consistent, right? Because the business isn't causing me to be fatigued where like there would be a day where 
I just feel like I need to go leave my phone, go for a hike for four hours and just get out of here. Right. Like that would happen. Whereas now that doesn't really happen because I have better understanding of how to process all this. So I can actually train more often because I don't have that one day a week, two days a week where I feel like I just need to go for a hike and not really like actually train. Um, and then it's, it, in terms of like the actual training piece that changed, I mean, so I talked, I, I mentioned with you, I had the conversation with Jay Schrader, Jay Schroeder uh, in December of 2022, and he helped me to understand some more stuff, gave me some different ideas. And so immediately after that, what I did was I would do slow lowers every single day. And I, I went through a point of time where I did rebound rep, like heavy rebound rep bench, heavy re- rebound rep squat every day for, it started as twice a day. And then at, at the end, it got more like once a day, but it's still every day. And I did that for about six weeks. And over that course of time, like the rebound rep bench went from, I think it started at 195 to like two, it's gone up to 290. I wow. think it got up to 275 in like six weeks from 195. Jeez, that's and, crazy. And that, that was like, it, it was insane to go through that, right? But it was like that, that connects to when, when I figured out how to do this, the lowers instead of the ISOs, I understood how to not like resist myself more, more fully. And so that helped as I was mm. doing that every day to be able to like, to be able to process that because man, like doing rebound routes and slow lowers every single day, it can get, it gets obviously very repetitive, right? And I'll pretty much take the rebound rep squat and bench to a fail every day where I'll just have pins mm-hmm. and I'll go up as high as I could and I'll hit a weight that I couldn't get. So like that's basically a loss every day. But if you understand how to connect all that, if I understand how to connect all that together, I can still do that consistently. And so obviously the body is going to show a representation of that. Um, so, I mean, all of that went into kind of that transformation that, was last year July to this year in July all, all that went into it interesting yeah so the yeah a lot of thoughts with that and yeah the, I guess um yeah I guess I didn't realize that it was there was a lot of the if you talk about biocycle social I, I didn't realize there was more the the physical the bio the the actual change to the reps but it's all connected you know um and it, I would see this I started noticing this at Cal I don't remember what year it was but it was something like an iso lunge where there was people who just, you could tell it wasn't just because they were tight or compressed. <laughs> I mean, that may have been part of yeah. it. They were all maybe ties together a little bit, but they, you could tell they were not trying to sink down in the bottom or they were always staying high enough in the lunge that they were always avoiding that perceived difficulty. But the funny thing is, is if you're pulling down into the bottom, it actually, like you said, when you aren't fighting yourself, it actually sometimes isn't as bad as you think it's going to be. I've had, I've, <laughs> that being said, I've had some really difficult ISO lunges when I was pulling down. I tell you, it, it's, it's, yeah. I, I won't, um, I won't dispute that for sure. But I would, would always think, I remember I said this one time, just kind of popped in my head is like, basically, it's, it's you going down farther in the lunge is, is making the conscious decision to do something that's uncomfortable that's going to help you to grow. And otherwise, you're just sitting there resisting it. You're sitting there being comfortable not wanting to do something that you're perceiving that's going to hurt or be um, worse or painful. And the funny thing is, too, is actually pulling down into those lunges, the ones where you pull, you feel faster too after because neurologically, I think it's just better versus like the idea of fighting yourself. Or, you know, it's funny, sometimes you'll see people post like, oh, someone held a 
eight minute ISO push up and, and you watch, you see the video of them doing it and it's like their hands are closed, their biceps are resting on their forearms the whole time. I'm sure it's difficult, <laughs> but it's also kind of this posted up survival position. You know what I'm saying? Like that's not pulling that, down into it. Yeah. And that was the thing where, so when I talked to Jay and again, we talked about this, but I had the, the five minute deep push up ISO hold with 85 pounds added. That's more significant you would think than doing now all i'm doing is three minutes slow lowers where i just i pulled out i started at the top and i pulled on as deep as i can over the course of three minutes and then i just i pop back up for rep after because to me that signifies that you're recovering as you work like if you can mm. explode back up your tricep is actually lengthened your your pec is actually lengthened at the bottom because you're not fatiguing it out and that's represented by the fact that you can press back up mm. right at the end of that five minute deep push-up like there's no way that i could have pressed back up because I, I, I fatigued myself out because I was yeah. resisting it, right? So it's, it's just interesting where like the, I don't know, the, what it looks like is like that 85 pound pushup is much more difficult than just a three minutes slow lower. But the effect that it's had in terms of my body, in terms of my physiology is kind of like the opposite of that. So it's, yeah, it, it's, it's pretty cool. Yeah. So that's been, so that's been, so you said since December, you started to train like that, like is that, that's that's where the majority of the physical so that, i'm not doing that anymore okay. so like the when did i stop doing that i think i did that for about three months so it's probably january through march where i did the i was doing the rebound reps every day but since march now through it's july now i've been doing um i've been doing similar to actually to what i was doing before it's just like i have a different hmm different level of, of I don't know, understanding of it. And I'm also working in, I'm working in a lot more impulse work. Like, honestly, I'm working in a lot more impulse work with the hyper arm or with the reverse hyper yeah. for both lower and upper body. And that's, yeah, that's like a rebound rep for, you know, specific areas, but I'm doing a lot more of that versus I, I do very, very, very little, like, I don't just, I don't even know what a normal movement is anymore, but, but <laughs> what is a normal rep? I don't even, it's a... right, right, right. But it's, yeah, I, I do, I do very little like normal stuff, I guess. Yeah. If you're just think like three sets of 10 and not that three, again, not that three, everyone's shitting on three sets of 10 now. It's not that that's bad. Yeah. It's just, I haven't been doing that much of that as of recently. Yeah. 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 Sure. It kind of makes you think too. Uh, and I do have some more questions about your protocol actually that I want to dig into, but I just, every time I talk to you, I have this in my head is like, just like the freak athlete, right? Like the Bo Jackson, Deion Sanders, or all, all these people who I, I'm sure they never got this into training. They never had to, right? And you always wonder right, what yeah. made them them fundamentally. And obviously there is, I think there's stuff that is in the DNA that is very clearly important, um, both physical gifts and even you could say you know, skill transfer, like Rupert Sheldrake and the idea of any even skill transfer that goes down the line. So, there's obviously a lot of that, but there's also, there's more than just that because I've seen even working with swimming and just being a strength coach for swim, but watching some athletes just completely take off and others just flatline and they're all doing the same workout. They're all doing the same thing in the pool. And yes, you could say, yeah, fiber types and all that. And I do think there is something there without question, but I think some of that was even accounted for or, or a lot of that I was saw was accounted for with the distance groups that these athletes were in and what I was doing with them in the weight room and yet you still see there's more there's another piece in that biopsychosocial that is causing one section of the group to just have this upward trajectory and another section to flatline and I think 
the flatliners were a lot of it was they were also just happy to be there they were just happy to make have made the team oh that was their big peak is just making the team whereas the people who had the continual upward trajectory it's like well i got world championships i got olympics you know i got all these things that that pull you and also you just think about how like what you said how does failure register like uh, a person who may have flatlined may have had a very different perception of themselves after a tough workout where maybe they didn't hit their set versus someone who didn't. And so there's all these things to constantly dig into. I just think I just think it's really cool. Um, if you have anything, well, and that's go ahead. Well, I'll just add a small piece to that because we talked about it earlier, where or, or I mentioned it earlier, where it's like the, the athletes that are just happy to be there. They may come from a place where they don't know how to they don't know that there's more that they could yeah. be going for, right? Like you, you only know what you're aware of. You only know the level that you're aware of. So if, if they start at a place where they're behind everybody else, the whole time they're just trying to catch up to everybody else. So if they just get to a point where they feel like they caught up to everyone else, they're just going to be mm-hmm. happy with that. But if you sit down and talk to them and be like, hey, this is where you come from. This is where this person comes from. This is why they have a different perspective. This is their perspective. Like you, is that something that you want? Like just, mm-hmm. you know, bringing that out, bringing that out in them to be like, whether they want it or not, at least get them to the point that they're aware of that. Because I think most people just aren't even, they don't even know. Yeah. 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 It's such an interesting, yeah, grounds for conversation and just digging into that that piece of it. Um, so with the the protocol you're talking about, when you when you did that, and I do think, I, I it's interesting that you're back on more of a normal. It's like you think of it as, and I think of it, you have the, the elite freak athletes and it's almost like i feel like and, and tell me your thoughts on this but i feel like ultimately the goal of a lot of these things is to transcend it like you did it you absorbed the gist of that and you know maybe you come back to it now and then you know like but it doesn't but the thought that you always have to do this oh to to be the best i always have to be doing this training method or yep. whatever like yeah what's your thought on that yeah it, it really worked similar as a cycle I'll do with any new thing that I find. Like this is probably one of the most common questions that I'll get asked is how do you, how do you structure your stuff? Right. So like any new thing that I do, whether it's when I first found the impulses, when I first found the ISAs, when I first found the joint moves, when I first found the rebound wrap stuff, the slow lowers, there's going to be a period of time where I heavily, heavily, heavily bias that. Cause it's like, it's novel. I want to see what I can pull out of it. I can, I want to push it to the limit that I can push it. Right. And then there gets to a point where you, it's like you squeeze everything that you can out of it. And and from that point on, it feels like you're just like, you're just banging your head against the wall, <laughs> right? Because yeah. you're, I don't, there's, there's nothing there anymore. So from that point, it then goes into like the more comprehensive cycle of things that I, that I have. So let's say it's, it's the rebound reps. I'm going to, I would bias those heavily. I bias those heavily for like three months. I didn't do that with the athletes that I have. That was like an additional session that I would do. After I get to that point, I figure out this is this is what about it feels like. I remember what it was like the first time I did them. I remember what it's like as they get old, like all of mm-hmm. that, right? That's not something that I feel good with taking and putting into the into the training structure. But the general training structure is going to be like I have all these different things that we want to hit, or there's all these different ways that we can stimulate an athlete. We can do uh, I mean, we can do like explorative type work, which I think there's value in that. We can do, uh, we can do like ballistic type output for lower upper. We can do high rep stuff. We can do rebound reps. We can do normal reps. We can like all these different things that we can do. 
I want all that to be included in the train. It's just that we cycle through, right? And as I come through, as I come up with new things, I'm going to buy a sat and then it later goes into that and I work it in over the course of the, the cycle. And, and it's, it's interesting because like you'll even have, when athletes come into your stuff initially, you'll even have that same type of cycle. It's, if it's completely novel to them for that first one or three months, they might see really good results. Then it, it might feel like they back off a little bit. So it's like, okay, you got to continue figuring out how to make things novel and new and, and how to get them to understand how to go through that. So I don't even remember what the initial question was. Yeah, it just, it, it does uh, just, yeah, kind of like, <laughs> yeah, I guess uh, when the, the reason, the season for exercises in light of the total trajectory of the athlete, but it, that what you were saying, yeah. it makes me think about Anatoly Bondarchuk's system where, and similar to Jay's or what you were doing is like every day, you're doing this thing every single day. And with, uh, the Bonnerchuk system, they would do the same workout every day, or you would do an AB, AB cycle. Maybe, maybe it's every other day or something in some of the, the yeah. setups. But at the end, when you uh, adapted, so basically they'd check your hammer throw. And this is, again, this is pegging it to the, the ultimate outcome too, that, that pass fail thing or whatever, just something that you measure is they would measure your shot put or your discus or your hammer and they would chart it. And then when you start to tail off, then you've adapted and now everything's new. You know, you were throwing the, maybe you are throwing the 14 pound shot. Now let's throw the 17 or the 18 next cycle. We were doing back squats right now. We're going to do front squats or whatever. Like it all, it's like you, you went through, and I think Derek Evely had mentioned something where the more of those, cause they were called developmental cycles. You went through a year that actually could speed you to your goals a little bit faster. It's almost like you evolve quicker or something like that. So it's interesting with what you're saying, even just the links between who would think there's links between even your know, Jay's mentality and the bonder Chuck system. Like to me, it's like the everyday thing. And the, that is, is one of the biggest ones there because that is just so rule breaking of how we typically will consider these things. I just, I find it interesting, <laughs> you know, but even it's cool. Cause one of the reasons that I did that, well, the original reason that I did that was because after I got done talking with Jay, I understood like, okay, these are supposed to be able to recover you. Yeah. So that means that I should be able to do this every day. And these are going to recover me because I'm doing them. I was doing the lowers like uh, I would do them every day after whatever the, the rebound wrap stuff was, right? I do the, I was, I, I have these slow lowers that I would do and it should recover you so you could repeat that every single day. But the way that I took that as is like, okay, I'm, athletes have to, if I'm working with a professional baseball player, they have to play every day, but they're going to play 28, 29 days out of 30 days every month, right? They're going to be playing every day. So, this is helping me to learn how to help them recover. Like, like that was kind of another layer to that is I, it's for me to go through an experience like, cause sometimes if we're coaches and all we're doing is the training and, and we can control all that, we're not putting scenarios where we have to perform it, an athlete. They, they have to perform otherwise they lose the job. And, and there were days where my body felt terrible. I, I didn't want to do the rebound reps. Like, but I was like, okay, if this is if I'm getting paid to do this as my profession, I have to do this. And by forcing myself mm-hmm. to do that, it's like, okay, now I have to learn how to also recover from this so that I can keep doing this because that's what the athlete has to do. Like they, they don't really have an option. If, if they're, you know, they can go on the injured list for 10 days, maybe, whatever, but if they, they need to be able to go and perform. So it was a way for me to come up with more methods or understand better, like when your body just feels like it's absolute trash. Because there's a conversation that I had with an athlete. He was in his off season and he was training in, in the gym. Um, and he'd be like, yeah, that's what I feel like in the middle of my season. Like in July or August, middle of a long baseball season, you just, you just feel like you're completely beat down. 
right? So it's putting myself in that scenario to be like, okay, what, what can we do to recover and get ourselves out of that? Mm-hmm. And it just helps to give me more tools for that. Yeah. So with the the oscillatory reps, the extreme slows, and, and the extreme slows, I mean, the extreme slows and extreme isos are basically kind of the same thing. They just start from different positions, like a, a mm-hmm. extreme slow push-up, you would start from like your arms extended, pull yeah. it down, and then an extreme iso, you're basically starting pretty <clears throat> darn near the bottom, and then you just keep pulling. Uh, so how... How did that um, make its way into the athletes that you... Well, before I ask you that, um, like how... Obviously, you had quite the physical transformation. You said your bench went up. I mean, with those those oscillatory reps, like what? Like you said 60, 70 pounds. Like what was it, the... It went from... I would have to... I, I know I have a video on my phone of it being 195. I think it was in November, if I remember correctly. And then by... I want to say by March... The, it topped out at 290, or that's what I've gotten to so far. I think by March is 275 or 290, somewhere in there. So it went up almost like, I don't know, 70, 70 to 95 pounds or something like that. And um, in, in like, yeah, in three months. What about your squat? Uh, similar or different with that? It, it went up. I think the most that I did on the rebound rep squat was is 385 or 395. And the first time I did it was like 315. Okay. So, I mean, yeah, it, it went up pretty substantially. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So did you, what about like, um, just, did you measure any sprints or jumps or dynamic outputs along? I was doing, so this was, man, I want to say maybe like a month and a half in, I would do a 15 yard acceleration where I had a, I had a GPS on or not a 15 yard. It would be a, a 25 foot, sorry, 25 foot acceleration. Cause that's mm-hmm. what my tape measure was. <laughs> Got and it. I would get up to as fast as I could in that, in that 25 feet. Um, and I had the GPS on so I could monitor that. And actually <laughs> the first time that I did it was the fastest and I, I did it every day for probably like a month and a half mm-hmm. and I never beat that I, I could get close like the first day that I did it I think it was like 1605 or something mm-hmm. and I could get 157 to 159 pretty consistently almost every day but it never actually got past that 16 so it, it's interesting because it was already it was a month and a half into what I was already doing I was getting a little bit of fatigue already right because i was just doing it every day for a month and oh half gotcha gotcha so you, you timed so it, it halfway it. through and because you're already getting like mid-february got it yeah yeah and that's yeah. our you had already achieved the bulk of your gains basically you mentioned by then too right like especially in bench but you had said you just shot up early yes. in that process so you yeah. started timing the sprints after you had shot up really quick basically. it was a month and a half into like the three months yeah got it interesting yeah. okay so yeah it would have been interesting then to yeah see what your time is before you had started or you know jump i know but i didn't I, I wish i would have but i don't think i had the gps at that point and i just you know that's the way it went down but yeah yeah i got you i mean it makes me i know back when i way back ago had sheldon dunlap on who had uh worked with jeff hauser who was also on the show and i i, I don't think i got into oscillatory reps with jeff who uh is at duke or was a duke um as for the show as much as i would have liked but i know they had really good results uh with yeah basic track measurements things like that using yeah. that kind of thing so i, I will say i will say with with a tennis serves that it's like so i, I don't know it, it if we want to talk about transfer a little bit because this is something that I, you've yeah. had ben, have you had ben baggett on the show or is that just head? okay so yeah he, he coached with baseball i've been working with him for a while and we talk about like throwing movements and stuff quite a bit. And I was talking about it as it relates to tennis serve, because I've only been serving for three months, like just kind of straight up picked it up. And it's, I mean, it, it comes out pretty well, way better than my throwing ever did. Mm-hmm. But it's like, because of the, 
I don't know. It's like because of the understanding that I now have of my, of my body through the soul lowers and through other stuff too. But like, it's just I'm able to get into the positions that I want to get to so much easier. And it, I don't know. I'm just like in, in terms of because we talked about sprinting and I was thinking about throwing. Like it's just it, my body literally. It feels like a different athlete. Like I think I also put up that video of the med ball slams. Did you see that one? I don't think so. Okay, so there was I was doing med ball slams in in the garage and I was using the same med ball. Um, the ones that I did before was at some point last year. It was probably like November, or October of last year. Then I did them a couple of days ago. And the time before I got, there's probably two feet from like me touching the ceiling, slamming the ball as hard as I could. And it took me like 60 minutes to get to that point of just like, is it an explorative today? I'm just going to get this as high as I can. And then I think it was last week I took into the same med ball and it hit the ceiling on like my second throw. And oh, wow. it felt like 50% effort. So it's just like the, the output has gone up a lot, which, which is cool. Cool to see with that. Yeah. Yeah. And how, um, with, well, with your athletes, so you've, I was yeah. going to ask you, so you did this experiment yourself. Yes. Uh, how has it changed what you're uh, handing out to your athletes in terms of what they're doing? Yeah. So we're doing, we're doing a lot more of the, like, whatever you want to call it, the impulse, the rebound rep, that type of work where there's a load that's, there's a load that's moving towards it and you have to ballistically like overcome that. We're doing a lot more of that work and a lot less normal. If we take one exercise, we're doing a lot less normal bench press and we're doing a lot less like, or in a lot more rebound rep bench press, but we can apply that to kind of like everything else. So even in terms of like a bicep or tricep curl or extension, like we're most of the time going to be doing either reps where like you rapidly pull down, rapidly extend, mm-hmm. doing rapid reps or, or rebound reps where you drop and you catch and you extend. We might be doing like uh, rapid rap impulses where you're just trying to get as many impulses as you can in 30 seconds or whatever it is. Um, but we're doing way more of the of that type of work than I was doing before. And the difference in how I'm programming it with my athletes is they're not doing the same thing every day. They're gonna there might be five to six different ways that we can attack that, and we're gonna cycle through them over five to six different weeks. Same general movements, just doing it differently. But the focus is like some type of impulse. And I've, I've found that, and it makes sense, right? If there's impulse, it's going to be a little bit more, probably a little bit more tendon-based versus muscular-based, right? So the overall explosiveness of the athletes has, we, we've seen good results mm-hmm. there. Yeah. So you, uh, with the drop reps, you were doing, um, and actually I had it in my head that it was uh, maybe more of like an, an oscillatory, like an oscillatory bench would be like near your chest and you're just, you know, two inch range of motion. You're actually, no, no, all no, these the, were drop the reps. Bench was, full, full the bench was, full arms. Yeah, start at the top, drop, catch, press back up. Got it, got it. And, and the squat will start at the top, like pull my feet up, sink, right, catch, and try to explode up out of the hole as fast as I could with that weight falling down on, on you. Yeah. So it's, it's like actually leaving the ground and actually hands leaving the bar. Yeah. Do you have your athletes do that every day or do they do more of a typical split with that stuff? No, it's not going to be every day. Yeah. It, it'll be just for you. There'll be, <laughs> <laughs> well, not anymore, right? That, that's, that but that's the way that I go through things, yeah. right? Like it wouldn't it wouldn't be good for an athlete to go through the cycle that I went through because at the end of that, I basically had to take some time to get my body to feel like to be able to go and perform a sport again. Yeah. But that's that's my process. Like I want to take myself to that point so that I know even in terms of an athlete, how an athlete communicates with me, like, okay, I know when I was getting to that point. Right. I know that we, I should have backed off here so that I can help doing it with the athletes and give them whatever it is that they need. 
it just it wouldn't be super beneficial for me to take an athlete through that same process yeah. because it was very like you know narrow tunnel kind of kind of thing whereas that's not what they need yeah that, may, I mean, and, that makes sense yeah 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 it's kind of like yeah if it was for you you can learn and evolve faster by doing it that way versus athletes they have to make their sport is the main thing like it's not like um even bonder chuck where it's like just tied to an output like a throw it's a little different once you're a baseball player, basketball or whatever. So yeah, that makes sense. Yes. I kind of thought you were going to say that with, um, so how often, uh, what does a split like them look like for that? And then you mentioned like just quick twitch impulse reps. Are you using like the oscillatory, like the little quick twitch oscillatory reps at like the critical, what do you call it? Like the, you know, whatever 90 degrees or a little bit at the sticking point or whatever. Are you doing, are you doing that kind of stuff as well? I'm just curious how that oscillatory work looks like for them when they're, uh, yeah. So, so there's a couple different ways that we can do that. So if we're t- if we talk about oscillatory, I pretty much just do that with a rope with the impulse stuff. Oh yeah, yeah, I've seen you do. That. Um, w- yeah, with a rope against a, a rack, right? And so we'll do the way that I want to do those. If is if I take every joint, I want to put them at their end range and do in- and do like impulse rapid impulse reps there. So if you think about the elbow max flexion, so it's basically like mm-hmm. bicep max extension is going to be tricep. If we think about shoulder like flexion extension rotation each direction adduction abduction so i'm taking each of those ranges and i want to do rapid rep impulses there or we can do what i really like is the like the overcoming impulses against the hyper like i I found that to be extremely beneficial but we can do the same movements like i'll do the same i'll do the same setup of movements on the hyper as i will with the impulse reps with just the strap and squat rack so i'll do like the same thing where we take each joint it's like knee joint hip joint shoulder elbow, wrist, all different ways that those can move, do impulse reps at that. And that's the way that I set it up. And we can do, it's not always rapid rep impulses. That's like one option that we have. We can also do impulses where it's low reps, 25 as hard as you possibly can. We can do three minutes. You do as many reps as you can. You know, you know we can mm-hmm. set up a bunch of different ways, um, but that's, that's the way that I attack those. And you're going to get different adaptations out of each of those, obviously, like going as hard as you can for 25 reps, literally where you're trying to break the rope. That's going to, that's more, uh, focused on the actual force going as fast as you can. There's not going to be as much force there, right? There's just going to be more speed. So it depends on what you want, what you want to pull out of it. Yeah. Got but, it. but I like, I like it because you can take and you can train each of those joints in all those different ways as kind of like a foundational layer to then put more global stuff on top of that. Got it. Got it. Do you do, um, like you said, you warmed up with the extreme slow push up. Do you have them? Are you using more of those extreme slow yielding motions as a warm up to some of their lifts with that in mind? Uh, honestly, I, I, so I didn't use them as a warm up. I'd use them after. Oh, got it. And that's okay. actually, that's actually usually what I'll do with the athletes as well. I'll do usually the first thing that we'll do is some, is that it's more of like that game setup where it could be something like, uh, we have some type of rotation move that we're doing. You have 10 seconds to get as many as you can. Mm-hmm. You don't stop until you can't beat it for two sets in a row. It could yeah. be a jump. It could be a sprint, but it's that setup to get them yeah, going and engaged. Yeah, yeah. We'll go into some type of output type work. And then usually at the end, there's going to be the high rep stuff or the, whatever you want to call it, the armor building stuff. I don't yeah. know how, whatever you want to call it, it'll be more of that. And then at the, at the very end, it might be something like the slow loaders um one or two of those to finish but those aren't working every day like you know it, this is part of what i got from doing them every day was for a while they're really good and then you start no matter how much you, you understand them like it's just you, you 
they don't have the same effect. So that's why I like to cycle things a little bit. Yeah. I think too, just doing, there does, as I feel like as good as your mindset can be with that stuff, there is a slow, subtle mental like drain. I, I feel like to doing that. I mean, I don't know. Do you, or what do you think about I that? think it could, I was just going to say, and that could be a limitation on me that I haven't. Yeah. You know, that's entirely possible for sure. Yeah. With a perfect world, yeah. you could do that. I know. I remember right. a year or two ago, it was uh, two summers ago at this point, I was doing five minute ISO lunges or darn close to it as a warm up for almost every workout. And my yeah. squat was getting better. My jump was getting better. But it was a thing where I think just that mental will to put yourself through that again you know and again and again and again and again it does there's some like you know like the, they've done the willpower experience um experiments where you have to do like a bunch of math problems and then you put your hands in ice water and like and then the people who do all the math problems first can't put their hands in the ice water as long as when they just get to do whatever they want and then put their hands in ice yep. water so i think there was something to that but um yeah. but that's also that, that's also cool because like the and again this is perfect world right but you said like that could do whatever they want before they put their hands in ice water versus the people that have to do the math problems. So that's also where it comes into, again, if in a perfect world, you would want to do the slow lowers every day because you understand <laughs> why you're doing them, what you're doing. And, yeah. and then, then the fatigue maybe won't be as great. But again, that's where like the buildup of all the losses, not, not only in training, but like in everything that you're doing, you know, if you're not, whatever you're not able to process, that's basically the amount of effect that it's going to have on your, on your will to want to go into that again. That's kind of the way that I'm viewing it right now, you know? Yeah. So once that builds up to a certain point, you're like, I just need to do something else right now. And that's fine. Yeah. Like, that's fine. It's just, it's part of the, part of what, you know, the puzzle of figuring all this out is. Yeah. It's like, if you can make, if you can associate that, make that positive association, um, it definitely would allow you to do it for much longer and probably get yeah. more out of it too. I think I was in that place. Like I definitely, positively associated and i'm not i'm not someone who's afraid of hard work at all either or discomfort but at the same time i could tell i think too it, it's it's kind of like the summer sunlight sprinting i think that in itself is very inherently motivating um sometimes mm -hmm. i think when you don't have anything quite as prominent to train for at the time um that can also play a role in all that so um you know last thing here before we uh kind of get going along uh for the show was I wanted to ask you just really briefly about, yeah, you mentioned some of the arm, the oscillatory type work. Um, you know, I, I had just come across this with, I've been throwing javelin again. I decided to buy a javelin after 10 years. And nice. I, 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 for some reason, I was just thought about, you know, I, maybe you was seeing the things that you've done or like the impulse trainer. And I started throw, doing a throw. And part of it too is I only have one javelin. It's not like I have like three, I can throw three and then go pick them up and so it's like every time I throw it, I got to go walk and get it. So you got to make your training more efficient. So you think about all these little things you can do. <laughs> and so I would do, um, I would just hold it back in the throw position, but then just like oscillate it back and forth as fast as I could, like 10 times and then throw it. It's like, all right, well now I got 11 movements out of that one or something like that, you know? So as I was just curious, um, it's kind of something more on the nuts and bolts end too to finish is, yeah, like oscillatory upper body training um thoughts protocols things that you do like to warm up for like throwing baseball or anything like that just curious your take there yeah so i don't do quite as much of the so by oscillatory you mean kind of like small ranges going back and forth yeah 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 like that kind of, yeah, okay, or, yeah. or impulse too like with the with the band okay or, well and that's why i wanted to make a differentiation because i view them differently where like i view an impulse different than an oscillatory movement like um 
but to, to I guess to answer your question, how I work all those in is like, I mean, really, they're they're going to be there's going to be some variation of that worked in probably every week for the most mm-hmm. part, whether it's a rebound rep where like you're dropping a weight, you're catching, you're pulling back up, or it's a impulse against a rope. All the different ways that we described earlier, where you can go as hard as you can, you can go as fast as you can, you can go for time, right? Or more like the rapid rep stuff. I, I I don't really do as of right now. I don't really do any like I don't just free range oscillatory where it's like in your javelin throw. If you were to just like go back and forth mm-hmm. as fast as you can, I haven't really done that much of that type of stuff. Um, but I will do like the impulse stuff quite often. It, it's I don't know, man. There's so many different ways that yeah, I can, oh, yeah. that we work it in. Like another one is if you think about you have a handle, and I put this up on my Instagram once or twice, and then you, and then you have a rope, and you have weight hanging off the rope, and you can do like rebound reps for like shoulder. And I know the viewer can't see what I'm doing right now, but you can do like internal external rotation drop catches. You can do out in front like anterior lateral shoulder. You can do bicep tricep like all that different type of stuff. Um, but practically the way that works into the programming is I'm going to have the, I'm going to have generally something that's exploration game type thing that we open with. I'm going to have some type of high output type stuff. And then at the end is going to be like, like we talked about earlier, all those joints, we're moving them in some way, right? That can be a joint move. That can be a loaded joint move. That can be the impulse oscillatory stuff. That can be hyper or hyper arm work. That can be like a slow lower type work. It's all those are different ways that we can hit them. And we're going to cycle through those. And that's going to be generally at the end of the session. Um, so that's how I've been working those in. And, and as far as like sets and rep schemes, again, it can, it varies like anywhere from one set of 25 reps to, you know, a set of three minutes, a set of five minutes for all of them. Like there's different ranges that we can do and, and we do whatever we need to do most yeah. <laughs> on that day, I guess gotcha. is the best way to say it. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, like like you said. I mean, even just with throwing and how complex the throwing motion is, there's a lot of different ways you can do oscillatory and impulse for the upper body. Yeah. So, and I guess you asked about throwing warm up too, so I, I can add a little piece there. The way that I view throwing warm up is like if the athlete has the understanding of everything that we can do, every way that we stimulate the body. I, what I try to do is build out like two or three different days that they can have. Right. So I want them to hit probably like hips lower lower hips and lower body i want them to hit like spine and i want them to hit something upper and probably finish with something that's higher output put together two or three different variations of that that way they can pick and choose each say what they want to do based on what their body feels like they need um so it won't be the same every day but that's like how like i want them to experience the training so that they know how each of that like how all of that how their body responds to that then when they go into their, their throwing they can be like okay what does it feel like i need today you know what stimulus do i need today to get ready to go and they have those options that they can choose from. Yeah. Yeah. A little bit of a menu system too. It's yeah, yeah. Visualization. Yeah. I love it. Well, good stuff, Brady, man. It yeah. was great catching up with you again. It was really cool hearing of kind of that that journey of what's your what's updated in your training and how that's impacted you and just everything that goes in that human side of the training, the biocycle social. It's really great to get into what's going on in your head with that. So thank you so much for being on the show, man. Uh, I'm if people don't know where to find you, uh, where do they go to learn more about you and what you're up to. Yeah. So again, thanks for having me. Uh, I'm on Instagram. It's that performance health, DAC performance and health. Um, a little bit on TikTok, but that's pretty, <laughs> we're, we're working on that. So Instagram is the main, the main spot and it's DAC performance and health. 
that performance now. All right. Well, sounds good. Well, thank you, Brady. I really appreciate it, man. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to another episode. Great to have you here. Uh, if you enjoyed the show, you can help us out by leaving a rating or review on iTunes, Spotify, whatever you're listening to the episode on. I definitely appreciate it. And we'll see you next week with another great guest.